Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to the Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and today I've got with me Josh Hussman. Is it Hussman or Hussman? Hussman. You're close. <laughs> Hussman. All right. Josh Hoosman from Indianapolis, Indiana, and he pastors Mercy Road Church and also uh, has started Multiply Indiana. And so, uh, Josh, welcome on to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Well, hey, we wanted to talk to you today a little bit about uh, reproducing churches, obviously, but multiplication from a guy with his feet on the ground running a church trying to do the daily deal, starting a network, and having some pretty lofty goals. So, But before we get into all of that, let's jump back. Tell me a story about the time that you got involved in church planting. How did that come about? I knew nothing about church planting. It wasn't something I ever had on my radar. I didn't think it was cool. I didn't know any church planters. I didn't even know a pastor, really, when I got into ministry. I just, I became a Christian in college in a fraternity house and got involved in ministry there in a fraternity house at 19 years old. My life radically changed. I had questions after college, so I I went to seminary, felt called into ministry and decided, you know what, I'm going to start working at a church. And I worked at a large church in Southern California for seven years. And I happened to go to a, a conference where I heard from a church planter, and it really struck me. He was preaching on the Palm Sunday passage of when Jesus, you know, rides the donkey into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. And, you know, I know that passage, but he was talking about how he got into ministry because of calling. And in particular, he said, you know, he doesn't tell the disciples to go into town and take this donkey to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. He just tells them, go into town and basically steal this donkey. And if anybody asks you why, just tell them the Lord told you to. And how he had gotten into ministry because the Lord had told him to. And that just really resonated with me is why I'd gotten into ministry and started working at that church in California. That night I was went to uh, the little hotel room I was staying in, got on my knees and prayed. Had one of the most real moments with God I have ever had in my entire life. And I believe the Lord was telling me to move from Southern California to Indiana, which made a little bit of sense. It's where I grew up. Uh, but I didn't grow up in Indianapolis. I grew up in a small town. My wife was from Southern California. We were living in Southern California. We had had our first child. We thought we were going to live there forever. Uh, but the Lord was telling us, move to Indiana, start a church. And it was the most random thing ever. Three friends of mine from high school, I believe God was telling me, was gonna help, were going to help us start a church. And so I went from knowing nothing about church planting to within a few months uh, moving across the country and starting a church in the state of Indiana. So I was just like a sponge. I started reading every book I could, looking things up online, taking assessments. I mean, everything I could possibly find out. And so uh, the last nine years of my life had just been thrown upside down through that one prayer. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about Mercy Road Church today. What's it look like? So uh, we meet on the north side of Indianapolis, and the first location was in Carmel, Indiana, which is a northern suburb. We uh, you know, have about around 1,000 people on the weekend at that location. We've seen a lot of people come to Christ over the last eight and a half years. 
Uh, we started the church in the fall of 2011. And we went from meeting in our home to meeting in a school to leasing a small building to buying a building and renovating it. And we've seen a lot of people, you know, come to Christ. I think some of the unique things we've probably done is we don't see church as just a weekend uh, worship gathering. We see it as a lot more than that. We've adopted some of things you might find from Mike Breen and 3DM or Alan Hirsch and other theologians in particular. Uh, we follow kind of the up in and out philosophy. So we have intentional discipleship huddles that we do instead of small groups. And then we have communities on mission we call outposts. And uh, we don't offer any other programs in the church. So uh, th- those are how we see church. The weekend worship service kind of fulfills the up. Discipleship huddles are the in and our outposts are the out. That's really cool, man. So um, how do you stimulate all three of those? Like in particular, I'd like to hear about the out because obviously this this podcast you know, probably most of our listeners um, that that are interested in reproducing, they're they're really good on the maybe the in and the up, or or maybe that's their their sandbox. But when they start thinking about the out, they get stuck. Yeah, Ephesians four is huge. I think in discussions uh, over the last ten years, but it's been huge in our church in the fivefold ministry that you find in Ephesians four. You know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And for us, you know, the, the apostolic and evangelistic leaders were the two that we were really trying to connect with. And I think if you came to even to the weekend worship services at our church, you would find that those two in particular, those ministries are very strong in our church. And we designed a lot of the out, our, our outposts, the network of communities on mission um, and micro churches that we have. That network we call our mission network. And we have set up uh, resourcing so that if you're an apostolic leader, you could find financial aid in order to get an outpost off the ground. If your outpost grows and you want it to become its own nonprofit, we can help pay for some of that. We've even now started an impact center for social enterprises and nonprofits that if it really begins to grow, you could actually find office space and have additional resources beyond just uh, you know money to, to help you learn how to brand and develop the vision and help it really make a, a larger impact. Um, and, and that's taken a lot of time, you know, and, and part of the way that we've done that over the last uh, year, we have been launching new locations. It's another way that we're starting churches. And one of those locations we bought a building for, and we put that impact center in the upstairs of that building. It's about 30,000 square feet of office space uh, that people could actually lease out in order to have a, a greater impact. So how big was your church? Because I know you're around 1,000 now, right? You've got three locations, opening a couple more. But how big was your church when it started reproducing? Uh, our first year, we were, when we first started the church, we had a meeting in our home. We leased a school auditorium. And uh, that first year, we gave away $10,000 to plant a church in Montreal, Canada, and we set the goal early on of radical generosity. And so from day one, when we were still funded from outside donors, we were giving away 10%, uh, excuse me, 20% of the general tithe. And then we worked towards giving away 50%. We're now at 50% perpetuity that we're giving away out, outside the walls of the church. And so it's funded a lot of that, that mission work. And particularly, that's why we've been able to do as much church planting as we have because we put an inordinate amount of resources into church planting. 
So that's kind of probably more powerful than just getting up and preaching a sermon. You guys actually practically modeled that as a church to your people. Like, hey, we're serious about this reproducing. Ten grand is a lot of money to a church that's just a year old. So what did you see that doing to people as you started demonstrating that? What were some of the stories of people going, hey, I, I get it, man. Well, we talked about planting pregnant and from day one that we were going to be a church planting church, a multiplying church. You know, I don't think they really got it, though. Even when we were giving money away in those early years (laughs) until we started sending people. And when it became more local and we one of the first churches we planted was a mile down the road. Okay. And I remember some of our board members just going, what are we doing? Like, we're still a young church plant ourselves. Why are we planting a church down the road? And I had them read J.D. Greer's book, Gaining by Losing, and it really helped them get the concept of we were going to be known more for our sending capacity than our seating capacity. And uh, as we started doing it, it just became a part of our culture. Right. uh, We started running into the opposite uh, problem where we were planting so much, even locally, it started becoming almost white noise where we weren't getting as many people going because we were just planting so many. Um, they, they just kind of got used to it, but, uh, became part of our DNA early on that we were going to be about multiplication. That's fantastic. You know, the key to, to multiplication too, I, I, I like that you talked about some of the obstacles with the leadership that you had to overcome that first. You had to kind of really get them to see the vision and yeah. you know, as a, as a multiplier and for all of those of you listening uh, to really reproduce churches, it's got to go beyond the leadership. And I think most of us that are down the road of multiplication, we know that it really becomes about mobilizing everyday believers. When that happens, there's something really special. And when you and I talked, um, you started telling me some pretty amazing stories about some of the people uh, who kind of caught this vision and um, and you mentioned that one of your focuses now is, and, and this is kind of one of your mottos or one of your mantras, is uh-huh. we focus on enabling people to go rather than to gather, right? And that's so yeah. powerful, man. Tell, tell me some of the stories of people that said, you know what, I'm going to go. And they just started doing what you call the outpost. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, and I think this is really important to multiplication. It doesn't just happen on the grand scale first. It has to start in the small scale first, in the microcosms of actual individual multiplication. So for us, our, our mission network of outposts and microchurches, we, we you know, would resource them financially, we would equip them, but we really wanted to connect with apostolic pioneering leaders. And so we, we gave them the opportunity to start new things. And our policy was to say, if there wasn't a spiritual reason to say no, even if we didn't like the idea, we were going to say yes. So, you know, we, we had a uh, woman early on who came because she was a single mom. She wasn't a Christian. Uh, one of our outposts actually uh, gave away all kinds of resources to the local school, to families in need. And she was one of them. And, and she ended up coming to one of our services. She gave her life to Christ. Her kids gave their lives to Christ. They all got baptized. And then she was just so moved by how the church had helped her. She wanted to help others. So she started uh, actually doing extreme couponing, how she had kind of learned how to survive. And she'd always found free, you know, food or clothes or other items, but not like hygiene things. If you think about how expensive, like laundry detergent, soap and diapers, and uh, I mean, every hygiene item you can think of, deodorant. So she 
would uh, actually do extreme couponing and collect these items, put them in the pantry of her rented home, and, and invite the community to come in and take something. And if, if they wanted to leave anything, any money behind, she would go buy more stuff with it. And that grew into its own nonprofit called Dotted Line Divas that now they resource, I think, like 100 families every month uh, locally from their pantry with these items. Uh, it's a pretty neat one, but probably one of my favorite ones, uh, one of the most different ones, I think, was there was a guy who had come to Christ through a bar ministry called Pub Theology here in Indianapolis that we're a part of. And he had been radically changed by Christ. He had found friends, and he said, I never really had friends before, believe it or not, as a young man. And I found it in the church. He goes, I want more people to experience this. So his passion was WWE wrestling. I mean, he's like the biggest wrestling fan you have ever met in your entire life. And I mean, he knows every storyline, every history. So he started inviting um, some, uh, some guys over to his house to watch Monday Night Raw. And then they do a Bible study. And it was like six or seven guys. And most of them didn't want to do the Bible study. They just wanted to watch Raw together. And then one day he was like, Josh, this is really working. I got like six guys in my apartment. This is awesome. He goes, I think we're ready for the next step. I was like, okay, what's that? He goes, well, you guys have a building now and the chairs aren't attached to the floor. I'd love to use the church auditorium to set up a full wrestling ring and have live wrestling shows. You got to have chairs that you can break over people's backs, right? Like that's the rule. Oh yeah, man. That's a part of it. So (laughs) he tells me this idea of what he wants to do. And I know I'm supposed to be a pastor and tell him that's awesome, man. My thought was that's the worst idea I've ever heard. That is not going to work. It doesn't fit who we are as a church. I would never go to that. And <laughs> I don't even wear I, spandex. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got the Zubaz. They don't wear the spandex, man. They got the Zubaz. <laughs> and he knows everything about it. And, but our policy was, it, you know, to say yes. And so here's an apostolic guy trying to start something. And so we told him, you got to get all kinds of liability insurance. And he did all that stuff. And we said, yeah, you could, you could use it. He had over 200 people show up that first time. Uh, that this started about three or four years ago. It's become its own uh, separate nonprofit called Wrestling Theology Fellowship. They now do wrestling events in our church building once a month. They'll have anywhere from 100 to 300 people show up. We have had more complete atheists come to Christ through that outpost than any other outpost in our church. And not a single staff member did anything that had anything to do with it. We didn't do anything but let this apostolic leader that knew Jesus and had the Holy Spirit living inside of him use our building. And it's one of the coolest things that we've been a part of. I think when you start to see people doing that and you start empowering them, um, then you really start to see it kind of take off. And, uh, and yeah. you know, Brian Sanders, Underground and Tampa, I mean, this is the key. It's the same with, with, with what we did in urban Long Beach was really just letting people run with it and realizing I don't have all the answers. Maybe the people that the Holy Spirit's put here with me, maybe they have gifts and maybe they have vision that I don't have and I'm not expected to have, but God strategically placed them in my posse and I'm going to let them go after it, you know? So, okay. So one of the things that I'm really excited to talk to you about is when it comes to opportunities and maybe this will hit challenges as well, but um, you mentioned that one of the places that you bought, you had strategically partnered with um, a business venture that the top mm-hmm. floor of one of your buildings is actually being run 
in in a by a nonprofit. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to steal your thunder, but um, tell me a little bit how that came about and what's been happening there. So it's it's called the Nexus Impact Center, and you know a lot of the influences were the underground church in in Tampa. We'd also been a part of the first exponential cohort that went around the country, you know, dreaming of the next stage of the church. And for us, uh, we really saw that uh, there was a point where our outposts kind of outgrew the the resources of the church, where they needed to reach a much broader base than just people in the church context. And we didn't have the ability to resource them. So this idea of creating a separate space designed for that came about. So we started a separate nonprofit called uh, Nexus, the Impact Center. And then we master leased the top 30,000 square feet of one of our facilities out to them. And uh, they now have grown much beyond just anything to do with the church. And uh, they uh, just opened up, actually, and are, have a lot of tenants up there. It's both uh, nonprofits and social enterprises, which is for-profit companies that have a social uh, impact statement. And uh, there's also co-working space there. There's micro offices. There's large suites, up to 50 employees. So it's kind of got everything, kind of a one-stop shop for if you want to take your nonprofit or social enterprise to the next level, uh, it, that's what the space is designed for. And so it's been a really neat partnership with the church to be able to work with them, even though they're a separate nonprofit that's reaching much more than just the Christian world even. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's really a neat thing. Um, but yeah, that, that whole idea really came about when we were going through the exponential cohort. I don't know if I told you that. So that's no. it's pretty neat. That's very cool. So yeah. how did you connect with some of these businesses out there? Because... Really, that's that's part of the key strategy. I mean, really, these are people that have their tendrils all throughout your city that are already doing things that may not necessarily be on Christ's mission uh, right. directly, but is definitely something you talked about riding that donkey. Master has need of yeah. this donkey. You can ride that donkey into Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, and what... A- I don't know if you're familiar with Sip Marshall, the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, and awesome Christian woman. And she talked about how uh, she, you know, was in a church for years and had all of this experience an executive at AT and T corporate office in Dallas, and you know, it, but was never really asked to do much in her local church other than mm. to greet people at the door. And it really, that really hit us over the last couple of years, and we started discussing, man, we've got some phenomenal leaders in the business world, what would it look like to actually empower them? Mm. And so some of the business leaders in our church moved their offices to that space, but then they also started connecting their non-Christian friends to that space as well. And uh, we're seeing some impact made that way. And, um, you know, so that that's really was the heart behind it was these people are in our churches. Why don't we just empower them to actually make an impact in a way that could work in, um, you know, a world that isn't always Christian. Wow. So if I had a title for this episode, it'd be, hey, the master has need of your donkey, right? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, that's part of your calling story. And I yeah. love the fact that here now, we're not even talking spiritual gifts. We're talking even natural talents that people in your church, you've been able to harness both spiritual gifts and natural talents and the resources that are available to you. What have been some of the biggest obstacles for you on this journey of uh, reproducing, you mentioned your leadership. That you know there had to be a paradigm shift for them. 
Um, You've mentioned some, hey, we needed some of these skill sets. What would it be like if we just shifted that way? What have been some of the other big obstacles or challenges that you've had? I mean, there's a long list of obstacles. And, (laughs) you know, we haven't perfected anything, but we also have got to see some of those obstacles overcome. And I think largely, uh, you know, the obstacles that we've run into were financial ones. There was obstacles of when you're trying to bridge worlds like the church world and the business world. Sometimes there's, you know, you have to talk through a lot of issues and a lot of questions. And and then, you know, just the, the enemy doesn't want us to make an impact. And so it's easy to find conflict uh, with other people when you're trying to work together for kingdom advancement. Uh, you know, it, there's been some of that, that that we've had to overcome. But I think in general, when we've been successful at addressing obstacles, it's usually been when we've just tried to discern what is God trying to say to us? How can we be obedient to that? And then just be faithful to what he's asking us to do. And there's, you know, the the shalom of God can overcome those situations, even when there's conflict, even when there's hardship. If we're, if we know we're doing what he's asking of us, you know, if you go into town and getting that donkey, you can have a peace about it. You just have to be faithful. You, you, You don't have to make it happen. Right. I love that. So you're one of those crazy people that actually believes like God will respond and turn up and listens and even speaks. Yeah, we're that way to a fault, man. I mean, our church was started through a prayer, you know, in a hotel room. So, and the backstory to that was I emailed 40 people and said, hey, you're my awesome Christian friends. Why don't you help us move to Indiana and start a church? And they all said no, except for these three friends of mine from high school that the Lord had told me in a prayer would help us start the church. One wasn't a Christian. One worked for Entertainment Tonight in LA and was going through a hard time in his life. And those were the first uh, three guys that came and helped to start the church. One rededicated his life, got baptized. The other one became a Christian. Him and his wife got baptized. And, you know, so I believe in the power of prayer and that God still speaks for sure. Well, God is very much still on the move today. And I believe that's part of, of, of the genius of what your story is. And, and I know that some of the listeners right now are listening and they're going, yeah, but I got this obstacle or yeah. And here you are going, Hey, God just did his thing, man. We didn't force it. We didn't make it happen. But I love that you're bringing out the obedience. So what is your vision for church planning in the next five to seven years? We want to plant as many churches in Indiana as we can before we die. I mean, that is the calling that we felt we've had from day one. We have um, four movement maker statements, we call them. And the last one is the the movement statement is we want to see a million people reach for Christ in the state of Indiana. Hmm which is a ridiculous goal. There's only like 6.8 million people in the entire state. Uh, But it set the goal from day one that this was going to have to go much beyond just our church and what we could, you know, do and how we could grow a church. It was going to take us thinking way beyond that of empowering other people to be sent out and change uh, the culture around us. So, you know, we planted 16 churches in the last three years, and uh, through a, a nonprofit we started called Multiply Indiana, and a, a lot of that was uh, funding and um, and and resourcing and sending people and uh, giving social capital to those church plants. They're all in the state of Indiana, all within a 30-mile radius of our church, and it's been really neat to see how that that's worked. We also then realized Mercy Road has its own unique DNA because of our intentional discipleship process, they're giving 50% outside the walls, 
some of the, some of the slightly radical things that we're doing. And so we wanted to extend that DNA. So we started the Mercy Road Church Network as well. And we are planting Mercy Road churches. And uh, right now we're in the process of taking our one church and breaking it up into five churches and getting those people to live on mission in their community and context. We just launched a a church uh, yesterday, actually, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, They had their first services yesterday. And um, it's been really neat to see that. So our our vision, if if I'm honest with you, the five to seven year thing, it's probably, I mean, I could picture like 100 churches in Indiana. I could give you some stats, but that's not really how I operate, or at least I don't think how we operate. Uh, It's a lot more of like, what in this season has God put in front of us that if we were just faithful and utilize that to the best of ability, that we would reach the most people for Christ. I can give you an example of that. So uh, about a year and a half ago, we were told we could raise $3 million to start a second campus for our church. And we really started praying about it. And we realized, man, we have hundreds of people in this one community that could go start a, a campus and we could raise $3 million to help start that campus. But we just didn't feel right about it. it. Didn't feel scrappy enough for us. So we thought, you know, well, if we have three million dollars and we have these people willing to start new things, what, what, what could we really do that would make the biggest impact? And then we really thought the Lord was telling us, we'll go in four different directions and start four new churches and use that three million dollars instead of for one campus for churches that will one day become autonomous, uh, you know, legal churches. And so. That was that's the multiplication that we instilled from early on, and it just poured out, and you know now it's all happening. So we didn't really plan that, you know. It was it was a matter of we had a plan, and then we discerned the Lord was saying this to break up our church in four different directions, and so we did it. Um, so in five to seven years, uh, my greatest hope is that we don't lose that, you know, so regardless of the stats. I love the fact that even one of the ways that you're talking about multiplication and reproducing is splitting up a bigger number and you can see that in the new testament where Mm -hmm. you know saul comes and persecutes the church and boom he just scatters it he takes a bigger number and divides it and um i mean when you do that right i mean i'm guessing i'm i'm talking to you I, I know what happened to me when, when I was in Long Beach. The only way we could plant three churches in three years in the neighborhood we were at was exactly that, to keep giving wow. our best away. First stringers, second stringers, third stringers. But because you're apostolic and I'm apostolic, there's that yeah. tendency to thrive on that, shrinking back down again, having that mm-hmm. adventure again. And it, everybody listening, mm-hmm. a church of 100 could go to a church of 50, two churches of 50, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you have that apostolic gene, you thrive on that. You thrive on hitting the reset button and saying, okay, it's back to needing the Holy Spirit again, right? We can't coast. Yeah. We got to plant again. There's that pioneer spirit. And I think for many who are in ministry that maybe feel like they're babysitting a congregation or feeling like, hey, where's that thrill, man? Where's that Where's that adventure again? Um, that's something to, to lay before the Lord and say, God, yep. is, is this something I ate or is this something you're stirring? <laughs> you know, is this, uh, <laughs> hey, it's near Christmas, right? A little undigested yeah. piece of beef. There's more of grave than <laughs> gravy than grave about you. You know, uh, yeah. and, and I think that's kind of something. How did you discern 
uh, in the beginning. Because, I mean, you're talking about raising $3 million. I mean, the, these yeah. are huge goals that you have. A million yeah, people, so, $3 million. Yeah, yeah we brought in a, you know, a financial expert for campaigns and had him assess our team and leadership. And uh, he, he came back and, and gave us some of the numbers. And that's where then we discerned, well, if we really were able to raise that, that kind of funds, how would we use it? Mm. You know, th- there are different styles of churches that might use that in a different way. But for us, we just felt like, man, we would want to plant as many churches as we can. We could have planted more, but what we did was two of those were actually buying buildings for two of those church plants and because we wanted to send, you know, three to 500 people to those, to those churches. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's been the ride that we've been on. If I'm honest, if, to give you how, why I think we've been able to do that, one of the best things that ever happened to our church was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. When we moved to Indiana from California, my wife was actually pregnant with our second child. And he, uh, we found out in the womb he had a genetic disorder and probably wouldn't make it. And we started praying, and he ended up making it full term. We had found out in the process of moving from moving to Indiana that we didn't have health insurance and, you know, he had this genetic disorder and we didn't know if he was going to die at any moment. It was just it was a really horrific time. That was our first six months of moving to Indiana to start a church. And then he was born and he lived longer than the doctors thought. He made it two weeks. And then right when we thought we were going to get to take him home, he took a turn for worse and, and, and died at two weeks old. Um, Exponential actually uh, a few years ago did a conference called Sifted, and our story was one of them, one of the, the films there. But we we went through that the first six months of planting a church, and it was one of the most devastating things to us personally, you know. And you never really get over those kinds of experiences. But what it did for us was, spiritually speaking, it taught us that God can get you through anything. And it changed our faith. It changed the way that our relationship with the Lord worked. I, we knew that we had called this, but I don't think we had gotten to the point of submission and obedience in the way that God was going to require us to. And it actually slowed our church plant down because we had to take like a month off or a funeral and all kinds of things. But as God got us through that and the church began to grow, he began to use our son's story. And we saw a lot of broken and hurting people come to Christ it was just kind of one of those moments where it was uh, four years to the date of uh, my son's birth on February 23rd. Uh, we actually, February 23rd, 2011, four years to that date, we actually closed on the purchase of uh, the first facility for Mercy Road Church. It just happened to fall on his fourth birthday. We didn't know it until we were closing. Yeah, and it just, just, just happened to. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And it was just like God saying, you know, you were faithful in this hard time. And although we would rather have our son, we saw how spiritually God used that faith during that season than just a three and a half mm. year period of a church existing. Because that was before the church even launched that we lost our son. Uh, they had grown so much that we had bought a building and and, and God had totally established and helped this church thrive in an area of our city that church plants had usually died. Wow. And so it, it really, uh, anyway, to me, it was just a memorial to God's faithfulness Wow. And, and what he could do. And so that's changed the way that we think. When we say these big dreams and these big things, it's like, we're not in control. We don't have to make this happen. 
We have to be faithful and God will provide. You know, it's it's so interesting that you bring that up. Um, Exponential uh, started telling a story. Um, And, you know, we talked about this with Todd Wilson on the podcast. A few years ago, they hit the reset button. They were wondering, is this what we want to give our life to, is church planting? And instead, they, they said, no, we would rather see the story shift, church planting being a part of it, but the bigger picture of expanding the kingdom through churches. Uh, we don't just want to forsake all the existing churches. We want to help get people that whole vision from four to ten. Um, yep. We believe that... that you know, we go up the food chain and there's this bigger story, but that really prophetically was the first chapter of the story they were telling was sifted. It has wow. to be that. I, I know that we, we all know this, that uh, kind of like Tozer said, God doesn't truly use a man until he's first heard him deeply. In mm. uh, Men Who Met God, Tozer made that profound statement and that is very much behind my church planning journey and wow. so many others, man. So I can't thank you enough for just being vulnerable and sharing that. And yeah. because I think a lot of that brokenness is characteristic of people that God uses. People that walk with a limp like Jacob after wrestling with the angel, but they're different and they're changed and there's a surrender there and there's a power, mm-hmm. there's an anointing. So Brother, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Are there, is there any final piece of advice that you would want to throw out there? Any resource? Any You've already mentioned Alan Hirsch, uh, J.D. Greer, uh, yeah. you know, some, some of the other things. Any resources, leaders, or any bits of wisdom you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I'll tell you, become a sponge, read everything you can, look everything up that you can online. Even there's great resources for church planting. But for me... Uh, there was a, so many things that helped. I remember reading Ed Stetzer's Viral Churches and Wormbird's Viral Churches. That, that made a big impact. Ralph Moore was huge. If you're not familiar with Ralph Moore and his work with Exponential, I mean, he's planted, I don't know, 18 million churches or something. And, you know, so I. I 18 million, 953. <laughs> that's about right. I read some of his books and then I went to Exponential and just followed him around everywhere. It's all his breakout sessions and just tried to learn everything I could from people who had church planted. You know, I think so often we we listen to the pastors who can grow big churches, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. I've learned a lot from many of those pastors. But I started really going, who are the ones truly multiplying? They're multiplying disciples first. They're multiplying leaders of those disciples. And then they're multiplying, you know, churches and and even nonprofits Mm. spilling out. And so I started, you know, looking at uh, the Ralph Moores and learning about like what Brian Sanders and the underground church in Tampa were doing and the different ways of multiplying the kingdom and and that changed everything so yeah i would definitely encourage some some ralph moore or uh, uh another guy that was a, a big help to me uh john burke down in uh austin texas at gateway church uh really you know his network helped us as well gateway leaders and uh he, he really challenged me in some of my multiplication thinking as well so That's very cool, man. Well, hey, guys, thanks for listening. And you heard earlier about the cohorts. Exponential is starting cohorts again. If you want to join those, be sure to get involved. 
And uh, you can check that out at exponential.org. Well, thanks for joining us today. My guest has been Josh Hussman. He has been from Mercy Road Church, and we want to see Indiana be reaching one million people for discipleship in our lifetime. So we will continue to give ourselves to prayer on Reproducing Churches. And thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit exponential.org.